I hope you'll come with me this morning as we navigate into God's Word, and we're really going to pick up right where we left off last week, looking at this issue of Jesus and money. And so um, last week we were looking at the parable of Jesus uh, that he told in Luke chapter 16. He told this parable of the shrewd manager or the dishonest manager, right? And out of that, what we began to discover was Jesus really desires for us to have a kingdom vision for our finances, that we would live with a sense of urgency, that we would live with eternity in mind, that we would invest in what really matters. And we're going to come out of that and continue in that, really discovering what it means to have a kingdom vision for our finances, um, discovering what it means as disciples of Jesus Christ to really fully, completely surrender all that we have to him, including our talent and our time and our, our resources. And one of the things we noticed last week was that Jesus spent an enormous amount of time talking about money. 25% of Jesus' teaching in the New Testament is some, deals in some way with the issue of money. And about one in every three parables touch on money or possessions in some way. And, and one of the things that I just continue to take away from that is if this issue is so critical to the people of God that Jesus would spend that much time teaching on it and helping shape our view of it, then it is absolutely worth setting time aside to receive that teaching, right? And so we noticed those things about Jesus. But this week, as I was kind of praying and studying, there were some things I noticed about our culture as well. Um, I want you to hear some numbers related to our culture and finances and, and, and that sort of thing. Listen to a few of these. As a nation, we carry almost 15 trillion, that's trillion with a T, that's several commas in there, right? $15 trillion in consumer debt. So here's what that means. We average as a household about 137 thousand dollars in debt per household. Now, I know some of that's mortgage and that sort of thing, but that's what we average as a nation, about $137,000 in debt per household. Of that $137,000, um, we average $6,000 in credit card debt. Now, I know that that's just an average. Some people have uh, above that. Some, have, some of you are thinking, man, I don't have nearly 6,000. Some of you are thinking, man, I wish I only had 6,000. But Right? We average about $6,000 in credit card debt. Now, I will tell you that is a solid $1,500 more in credit card debt than any other nation on the planet. Feels good to come in first place, doesn't it? Feels good to win, baby. We're not quitters. And so, <laughs> one of the other numbers that we came in first place, which is a terrible place to be in this number, is that as a nation, we carry $28 trillion in what they call external debt, meaning we owe that to other countries, right? So we carry more debt to other countries than any other country on planet Earth. And what's the point of, of, of talking about those numbers? The point is this. We as a culture, we have become slaves to the tyranny of more and bigger and newer and better as a culture, it, it seems like we would rather have that, that newer, bigger, better, and more than we would rather have true financial freedom. And this isn't just an issue in the culture. It's an issue in the church. It's an issue for believers. Even in the church, there, there are many who would rather be successful 
by the world's standards than they would be faithful to the standards of the kingdom of God. Larry Burkett said this, most Christians are more than content to live out their lives surrounded by the trappings of the world rather than to risk losing them in becoming a radical Christian. One who will put God first in all things, all decisions, even when putting God first is costly. Man, that read my mail this week, I'll tell you, that so many of us are comfortable living in the trappings of the world in such a way that we would rather not risk what we have in radical obedience to God. It's too much to risk, so we, we hold back from that obedience because it just might cost us more than we're willing to pay. And this is the vision Jesus is working to reshape for us, right? Now, I know no one loves having conversations uh, about financial stewardship and responsibility and discipline and maturity and all of that, right? Nobody got up and went, man, I hope somebody today has a conversation with me about being more mature. Not a one of you said that to yourselves. As a matter of fact, if, if you're a parent in the room this morning and you have teenagers or you had teenagers, just slip your hand up just for me, just real quick. All right, now, parents who had them or who have them now, uh, those of you who don't, pay attention. Those of you who have them now or had them, remember the last conversation you had with your teenager that included the words discipline, responsibility, and maturity. Do you remember that conversation? I do. It happened recently at my house. I want you to, I want you to remember what happened to their face when they heard those words come out of your mouth. What did they do? Boop! Lights went out. It was over. Man, they were glazed over like a Krispy Kreme donut. They weren't hearing a word <laughs> you had to say. Man, I turned the lights off. You know what I mean? Now, now I want you to go home this afternoon and, and have a conversation with them about something you're thinking about getting them for Christmas. Then let's just see the difference, you know, between, between because then now, now they're with you. They're in all the way on that conversation. And listen, I, I, I poke fun at that, but here's the reality. We're just that way. We are just like that. We love to have conversations about what we receive in the gospel and hear messages about the joy of Jesus and the abundant life and the hope for heaven and what we get in Christ. And the moment I say financial stewardship or responsibility or Jesus and money, boop, many of you turn the lights out. Because you want everything you can get from God as long as he doesn't touch this. But that is not a kingdom view. That is not being a disciple of Jesus that has surrendered their life fully to him. And this is what Jesus wants to do in us. Because just like when we have those conversations with our, with our kids, where we do talk about discipline or, or, or responsibility or maturity or whatever. We have those conversations because we know there's a deeper joy they're going to find in their life if they'll take hold of it in that exact same way. When Jesus teaches us hard things and, and draws us into this with difficult teachings, it's because he knows there is a deeper satisfaction and a joy that we will find in this life if we take hold of it. As a matter of fact, we'll find a satisfaction that no possession in this world can rival if we'll lean in to this. And so that's my prayer for us today, that we would lean in to this teaching because what if... What if God wants to do something powerful in your life when it comes to your money?
Now, most of us hear that and go, as long as it means he's given me more, I'm all in. But what if he wants to do something greater than just give you more of it? What if he actually wants to give you a freedom in it? I heard one guy say this week, money's kind of like gasoline. You know, when you use it right and you use it in the proper context, man, it'll get you where you need to go. But the moment you use it wrong outside of its proper context, it'll blow your life up. How many of you know that's true? I know. Yeah. Well, what if, what if today Jesus wants to show you how to have freedom in your finances? Listen, freedom from the tyranny and the bondage of more. What if he wants to do that in us today? Man, so let's let him speak into this. Let's let him shape our view of this. So grab your Bible, go to Luke chapter 16. We're coming right out of the parable he just told that we looked at last week, and we are going to pick it up in verse 10. Jesus says this, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. That word faithful, that Greek word translated means one who has proven themselves trustworthy. That's what the word faithful means. You've proven yourself trustworthy. So Jesus says, one who is faithful, one who has proven themselves trustworthy in very little is also going to be trustworthy in much. And one who is dishonest or untrustworthy in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant, not a one of us, can serve two masters. Either we will hate the one and love the other, or we will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve God and money. Lord Jesus we want to just put our hearts before you in full acknowledgement that this is a hard issue for us and that we need you. So Lord, would you help us put on a kingdom lens today? Would you remind us that you are our provider? Would you remind us that every good thing we have comes from you? Would you remind us what it means to belong to you and to call you Father? So, Lord, help us this morning, Spirit, speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. In the kingdom of God, in his kingdom economy, true success, true thriving is found in and measured by faithfulness. Right? We are called to be financially faithful. That is what God calls us to do. So what does that look like? What does financial faithfulness look like? What is it then that I would do proactively to become financially faithful? What are the attitudes and behaviors that I have toward money that are keeping me from being financially faithful? Those are the things I hope we kind of unpack here in the next few minutes. And so I want to give you three things this morning that I hope will help move us toward financial faithfulness. Three thoughts, three truths that'll help us get this kingdom view. Here's the first one. Financial faithfulness is not about how much we have. 
but how faithful we are with what we have. Look at verse 10 one more time. And who and one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Financial faithfulness is not measured um, in or by what we have, but by what we do with whatever it is that we have. That's how it's measured, which means this. Jesus is telling us here that it is absolutely possible, not only that, expected that we can and should be financially faithful even if we aren't rich or wealthy. Why? Because it has nothing to do with the amount. Your faithfulness, your financial faithfulness is not dependent on an amount. It is dependent on the character and the integrity of the heart. We said last week, money is an issue of the heart, right? It's a spiritual issue. It doesn't make us who we are, but it will absolutely reveal who we are. Right? It, has a, it has a power to do that. I think there's so many of us who think that if, if we were rich, if we were wealthy, if we had a little bit more, we would have the room to be faithful, to give more. And the Bible says you're deceiving yourself. You are deceiving yourself. Meaning this, a change in your financial circumstances does not change who you are. Having more does not suddenly create in us character and integrity. It, it doesn't work like that. Meaning this, the me that is really me and the you that is really you is reflected right now in the character and the integrity with which we steward the bank account we have no matter how big or how small it is. So let me tell you when this was reflected in, in my own life. I graduated from high school I was going to college, and, and um, I was also working in a, in a pipe yard for a company uh, connected to Lone Star Steel. It's what it used to be called 100 years ago. And uh, so I got this job, right? I started making some real money, Lynn, for the first time in my life. I was, I, was, I was like, oh, look at this check. It's got three numbers in it, not two. That feels real good. And um, so I was, I was making some real money, right? And I didn't have a lot of expenses. I was still living at home because I was winning. And so... Um, I thought, well, what am I going to do with this newfound freedom? And so I had a bright idea. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go buy a car, right? And so I went and bought, ready, a 1993 Dodge Shadow. Come on now. Look at that bad boy. Come on. You know, that right there, that just says, ladies, he's got life figured out. That's what that car says. A lot of girls were calling dibs when they saw me rolling around in that bad boy. Now, here's the deal. It's a great car, right? <laughs> I thought it was anyway. <laughs> and so when I got it, it was just fine. Matter of fact, it was that exact color. It was candy apple red. And I rolled around in it, and it was just fine when I bought it. However, I couldn't leave well enough alone because remember, I was making some money. So I put a spoiler on it. I put a sunroof in it. I tinted the windows. I put a new sound system in it. I put some rims on it, you know, because classy. And so I poured a stupid amount of money into a car that wasn't worth it. And about eight months later, that thing was broke down as <laughs> a piece of junk. 
What was revealed? Listen, I was going to college. I had books to buy and classes to pay for, right? I had, I could have been making two payments a month on that bad boy. Instead, what did I do? That needs a sunroof. <laughs> What's the point? Having more didn't change who I was, but boy, it sure revealed who I was, right? It didn't give me character. It didn't give me integrity. It didn't. It didn't create a room for, me to, room for me to be more generous. It just, it just revealed that what I was going to do when I had a little was exactly what I was going to do when I had more. And that's the principle Jesus is teaching us here. What a man does with a little is the measure of what he will do with much because the character that governs the little is the exact same character that will govern the much. That's the point he's making. This is the point I think Jesus is driving home in Luke chapter 21 when he, uh, he and his disciples are standing outside the temple. If you remember this moment, and wealthy people were walking through on their way into the temple to worship, and they were dropping their bags of money into the offering. And then this very poor widow comes by, and she's going to put her offering in, and all she has are two small copper coins, literally worth pennies. And Jesus calls his disciples over and he says, fellas, I want you to notice something here. You see those, those bags that are being dropped in? You see that widow that just put these two little penny copper coins in? He says, I, I, I want to tell you something. I tell you that that poor widow has put in more than all of them combined. Now the disciples didn't understand that. Why? Because they gave out of their abundance, right? They gave out of their convenience. They gave out of their ease. She gave out of her poverty, out of all that she had to live on, is what Jesus says, which means this. Her financial faithfulness was greater because before she bought her groceries, she was financially faithful. Before she paid any other bills, she was financially faithful. Before she set any back for a rainy day, she was financially faithful, meaning she lived with discernment. She lived with wisdom. She lived within her, her very meager means in order to make sure there was room to be faithful. Man, I've known people over the years um, who have just never felt like they could be obedient to God's standard of financial faithfulness because they just didn't have enough. If I'm honest with you, I've been that guy before. Right? I can't be financially faithful because we just, we just don't have enough right now. But all the while, my Netflix, my Hulu, my Amazon, you know, my... Um, my, my, my internet, my Apple TV, my gym membership that I never use, my restaurant money, and my lottery ticket fund, that's all well-maintained. You know what I'm saying? I've got all that. I make sure those things, those wheels are greased. I just wish I had enough to give and to be financially... Uh, by the way, I don't buy lottery tickets. I, right, I don't. And I don't suggest you do it either. It's a waste of your money, right? Um. But the point is, there's a discernment that comes in being able to be obedient with that. It's called, I'm going to live in such a way that I can be financially faithful and I'm not going to live out to the edge of my means 
and then close my fist around everything I have. He points, that's what he's pointing out in Luke 21, and that's what Jesus is pointing out when he's saying financial faithfulness has nothing to do with how much you have. It is what you do with what you have. She gave sacrificially. It's why Jesus pointed her out as the lesson. The rich gave out of their abundance, meaning that after they had done everything they wanted, bought everything they wanted, and spent what they had on whatever they wanted, with whatever was left, they gave. And while the amount that they put into that offering was more, the kingdom value was far less. It was far less. It isn't about how much you have. It's about how faithful you are with whatever you have. And the reason I think Jesus uses words like faithful, trustworthy, um, is because he is teaching us a kingdom principle here. There's a kingdom principle at work, and here's the principle. If you are trustworthy with a little, you will be trusted with more. Look, look, look at how Jesus describes the more in verse 11. He says, if then you have been faithful in the unrighteous wealth. Now remember, when he's, we talked about this, an interesting phrase. That's an easy phrase to kind of stub your toe and fall over. Uh, it's the second time he's used it in Luke 16. He's not talking about sinful gain. He is talking about just your earthly possessions, right? He's talking about the stuff you have that's not going to last forever. That's what he's talking about. He says, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? What are the true riches? <laughs> I want to get at that. Because Jesus is saying what you gain in this world is not the true riches. That's not the true riches. What, what does he mean by that? I think he's talking about the graces of the gospel. I think he's talking about the gifts of the spirit. I think he's talking about the power that comes in the presence of God, those supernatural things that God gives us by grace in response to our faithfulness. That's the true riches. Those things that we don't get apart from the proving ground of faithfulness that shows us trustworthy of the greater treasures. That's what he's talking about. When I was in like sixth or seventh grade, played basketball, was a mediocre athlete, and uh, not great. And so it was in this junior high game, I was coming off the bench, which tells you where I was athletically, right? And so... Um, my coach, his name was Gerald Dawkin, and Coach Dawkin was a godly man. He's very influential in my life, and uh, he had an expectation that whether you were in the game or not, your head was in the game. You were paying attention. You knew what was going on, right? And so he calls my number, Darby, come on, you're going in. And um, I had a small panic attack because I had been paying zero attention to this basketball game. I'm talking about goose egg. I was probably, you know, blowing bubbles down there or something, but I wasn't paying attention. And I go into the game, and I have a horrifying reality settle in on me, which is this. I've paid so little attention, I don't know which goal is ours. I have no idea which way we're going. And the first thing he does, I'm standing at half court. We get the inbound ball at half court. Half court's right here. I'm standing there. The pass comes in. I don't know which way to go. I, it's a 50-50 shot. And so... 
here's all I do. Here's what seventh grade Matt worked out in his brain. Okay, I'm going to take two dribbles this way, and I'm just going to fling it over there, and maybe that's where we're supposed to go. So I just took two dribbles. I let that bad boy go. It hit nothing. It hit, didn't hit a thing. It didn't hit the backboard. Um, it barely stayed in the gym, and it was the wrong goal. And so <laughs> Coach Dawkins immediately calls a timeout. I've been on the floor a grand total of eight seconds. He immediately calls a timeout. Come here. Get over here right now. I got to come here. You, know, you ever had a coach yell at you in such a way that um, you, he, he just, his whole form changed and he started to look like the devil a little bit. That's the way Coach Dockin was. And he crawled into my face in a fresh way. And he pulled me aside. The, the half ends, he keeps me. He pulled me right out of the game. He keeps me. And as the rest of the team goes to the locker room, he says, come here. And he says, Darby, I need to be able to trust you in these moments. And I'm telling you, something went, oh. Because here's what he was telling me. There's more minutes I want to trust you with. There's important moments in the game. I want to be able to trust you with those moments. But you have to prove yourself trustworthy of them. And when Jesus says, if you aren't being faithful in the stuff you've been given that isn't going to last forever, well, how am I going to trust you with the true riches, with the eternal things that are more important than anything we would have in this world? How would I trust you with the true treasure? That's what he's saying right here. If we are trustworthy with a little, he will trust us with that which matters most. So that's the first thing. Financial faithfulness, it's not about how much you have. It's about what you do with what you have. Here's the second thing. Financial faithfulness means recognizing none of this belongs to us. It means recognizing none of this belongs to us. Look at verse 12. And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? My wealth, my assets, my possessions, the money I have, everything that makes up the total of what I possess in this world, listen, is not some discretionary fund meant to terminate on me. It's something that belongs to another. It belongs to somebody else. And this teaching is easy to say, but I think this teaching rubs us the wrong way every single time we hear it, that what we have is not ours. Our highest level is nothing more than steward, manager. That's it. And there's something in us. Our flesh just goes, no, you worked for it. You earned it. It was given. You deserve it. It's yours. And I would tell you financial faithfulness and above that, your financial freedom is going to be born out of the reality that not a single dollar you have belongs to you. There is an owner. And the sooner I get myself out of the seat of ownership and put God in the seat. By the way, that's what it is. This is hard to do because it requires a conscious decision that I get out of the seat of ownership. Right? 
Think about the Cowboys for a minute, right? You're like, where's he going with this? I, uh, I've been a Cowboys fan all my life. I've also been a UT fan all my life. So this weekend has been very life-giving for me. Um, very affirming, and uh, I feel like I'm making a lot of good choices in the teams I cheer for. But I don't want to hear it. A&M and Oklahoma lost too. That's the only solace I have. That's it. Nothing else feels good. <laughs> so think about the Cowboys, right? Who's the owner? Jerry Jones is the owner. But what else is he? He's the president and he's a general manager, right? He looks at this team and he doesn't trust anyone else to run the team because he's the owner. Now, for the last 20 years, guys, that's worked out great. That has been exactly the right formula for success for the Cowboys, 20 years of thriving. You know what I mean? No flaw in the plan. But listen to me. When we are not trusting God with our money, when we are not being financially faithful with our money, it is a declaration that we have firmly planted ourselves in the seat of ownership. And Jesus is saying that when we try to retain earthly ownership, we go eternally bankrupt. Meaning, there are eternal treasures, laying up the treasures in heaven, but you don't do that if you stay in the seat of ownership. There has got to be a cognitive decision you make, a truth that settles in your heart, not that you just acknowledge is true, but that captures you in such a way, it changes you, that you own nothing and you steward all that you have for his glory. And that's it. Which changes how you see everything. It changes how you view everything. And it's actually the recognition of his ownership. It's in that recognition that he owns it. Listen, where what we have satisfies us more than it ever did when we tried to own it. Our greatest contentment is found in the affirmation that what I have is not mine. My financial freedom, my liberty, my breaking through the tyranny of more, my coming out of the bondage of newer, better, more is born. It is, it is propelled forward as I set God as the owner. Here's why. Because if I am nothing more than the steward and none of what I have belongs to me, then I am absolutely free to put all that I have at Jesus' disposal. I'm free to put everything I have at his disposal. That's freedom. That is true financial freedom. And in the economy of the kingdom of God, faithfulness means his lordship extends to everything in my life because I have recognized that everything in my life came from him, is for him, and will return to him. That's, that's free, which means this. It means the Lord, God is the Lord of my heart and my target card. It means that he is the Lord of my life and my end of year bonus. He is the Lord of my salvation and of my tax refund. That's what it means. None of this belongs to me. And the more readily 
And the more deeply and the more gladly we embrace that, the freer we are and the more contentment we find. And if you are in a place this morning where you would, just honest, I'm talking about honest with yourself. There's no reason to lie to yourself. Be honest with yourself. That you look at your life and you are not content. You're dissatisfied with what you have, with what you drive, with where you live, with the possessions that you're, you just, you're dis, and there's always in you this longing for more. I would challenge you, it is because you have put yourself in the seat of ownership. And Jesus is calling you to surrender that. And the moment you do, you are free from the tyranny of more. I hope that you'll find that. Hope that you'll find that freedom. Financial faithfulness means recognizing none of this belongs to us. Here's the third thing. We are either serving money as our Lord or we're serving our Lord with our money. That's it. Jesus said in verse 13, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot. You don't have the ability. It is not possible. It is an absolute impossibility to serve God and money. As clearly as he can, Jesus is saying, either you are serving me with your money or you aren't serving me at all. You go, that's kind of heavy. He's saying, either you're serving me with your money or you aren't serving me at all. Yeah, but I do these good things. Jesus is saying, no, what you're trying to do is serve two masters. And you can't serve two masters. We're going to be a servant to something. That's the first thing. He says, no servant. It's important that we identify ourselves there first. We're servants. <laughs> Again, we're not the owners. We're the servants. And he said, as a servant, one of two things is going to happen in your life. You are either going to serve God with your money or you're not going to serve him at all. Or you aren't serving him. At all. So what does that, what does it mean to serve money? What is he talking about? For money to be the master. If money is our master, it means this. It means we are trusting in it to bring order to our lives. Come on, I know that lands with somebody this morning. We're trusting in money to bring order, security, stability, to our lives, right? We have put our confidence in what we have and in what we own or in what we hope to own, which means serving money is to calculate all of our behaviors, all of our life, everything we do to maximize the benefit money can give. That's what it means to serve money. So what does it mean to serve God as our master, right? Serving God then means God is the master. He is the owner. It means we are trusting in him to bring order and stability and security to our lives. Serving God with our money means we are going to calculate all of our behaviors, all of our life, everything that we do to maximize the benefit and the pleasure and the satisfaction we get from God. And all of my life is set up to make the most of the joy I find in him. That's what it means. Where are you this morning in there? Can't, 
We can't do both. This is serving God with our money. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus calls this being rich toward God. That's that's what he calls this. Being rich toward God, meaning we have counted God as our riches, the true riches. We have made him our treasure. He's the reward. And Jesus says we can't do both. We're either calculating and planning and prioritizing our lives to make God our treasure in everything, or we are angling to make money our treasure in everything. And the end goal of financial faithfulness, grab a hold of this, the end goal of financial faithfulness is to simply serve the Lord as the master of your money and the owner of your money. Listen to me. The end goal of financial faithfulness is not that you would write a bigger check to the church. The end goal of your financial faithfulness is that you would see every dollar you have as already belonging to Jesus. That's the end goal. And there's not a person in this room that doesn't need the Lord to come alongside and refine their vision to help us get there. Not a one of us. We all need this. Look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions and and give to the needy. Provide for yourselves money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is Jesus saying? Saying make God the treasure. (laughs) Make Jesus the treasure. Financial freedom is not found in the ability for you to buy whatever you want. It's found in the joy of what you're willing to give away. That's freedom. And when we struggle to open our hands, it is a clarion call that we are bound, we are in bondage to this. But seeing God as the owner, seeing Jesus as the treasure, this moves us, right? To declare that money is not my God and I am not its slave. And it is not my treasure. But I have found the true treasure. And that is Jesus Christ. He is the true riches. He is the master. And I will yield everything he, that I have in this life to him because everything that I have in this life to him is from him, it is for him, and it is returning to him. Now, I know that many of us hear this teaching. I get it. You hear this? You go, yeah, man, that's great. But there's this fear that I have that if I live this way, if I give the way God tells me to give, if I give the tithe, if I open my hands to the poor, if I live generously, I'm not going to have enough to get by. Can we just not be honest that that's a real fear that we have, right? I'm not going to have enough. 
I'm not going to have my, my I'm not going to be able to just take care of my family if I live this way. Jesus says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Meaning, He will supply all of your needs. Think of what He's saying. And just He says, fear not, little flock. That means we're sheep. That makes Him the what? the shepherd, for it is your father's. He's the father. We're his children. Good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Who has the authority to give away a kingdom? The king and the king alone. Do you see Jesus stacking these pictures of the character of God, shepherd, father, king? Why? He's trying to remind us who he is so we can trust that his word is true and trust him with everything that we have. Are you in bondage to the tyranny of more? Are you trusting money to bring stability to your life? Have you believed the lie that says, if I have more, I'll be more stable? Have you believed the lie that says financial freedom is that I can buy what I want, when I want, and do what I want? Those are indicators that you are in the seat of ownership. And you have got to surrender that. There's an intentional getting out of that seat and inviting the Lord God of heaven to come and guide what he already owns. And some of us this morning, as a family, you may need to come to this altar and just go, God, we got to get this right. We are not being financially faithful. And we need to be. I want to be. I want to discover the true riches it begins with financial faithfulness. So maybe this morning is just a time of repentance. And maybe this morning, oh, you can't live this life of faithfulness if you have not been given a new heart. Your flesh can't do it. Your, your flesh. Now, some of you are in this room this morning and you're wondering why you never feel satisfied. You wonder why you feel like what you have is never enough. It's because you need a new heart you be born again. Maybe this morning you're discovering as we sit here, I want that life. I want to be faithful to God. But he's never changed me. I've come to church all my life. We talked about Wednesday night. We've had men saved in the last two and a half weeks that have been in church for 40 and 60 years. And they came to the reality that they had never actually made Jesus the Lord of their life. Maybe that's you this morning. So we're going to stand in a minute. We're going to worship. We're going to sing. And if you need to come and get at this altar and just repent of some financial unfaithfulness and ask the Lord to give you that new vision, come on. If you need to make Jesus the Lord, if you need a new heart so that you can begin to live this new life, then come and take one of us by the hand. Let's stand and let's pray. Father, I'll just pray that for the next few minutes, that you would pour out your spirit on us. That you would bring salvation into this room, repentance into this room, revival into this room. Holy Spirit, point out what you want us to do. Give us the courage to obey in Jesus' name.